QVC Quality Violent Cinema. Welcome to Quality Violent Cinema, and we're here with Scott Shermer. Welcome to the show. Hello. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> and Christian. What's up? This has been a long time coming. We've been geeking out about you since we started the show. We've always recognized Found as one of the best movies in the underground. We love Plank Face, and uh, The Batman, I think, is a really underrated movie that we, we're definitely going to get into on this episode. Oh boy. Wait. <laughs> so as we're kind of getting started, um, what kind of films inspired your style of filmmaking? I don't know. That's a weird question because if you're aware of the films that mm-hmm. have stylistically influenced you, then you must be obviously ripping them off. Right. And I try not to rip people off. So... I don't know. I think that's actually a lesson that you're supposed to learn as a mm-hmm. young filmmaker. And I think I learned that at some point in the late 90s when I was in college, I was actually in college in the early 90s, but it took me a very long time to graduate. Mm-hmm. But sometime in the 90s, I just decided I need to quit trying to make the movies that I like mm-hmm. and start making the movies that that I can that are within my resources, within my budget, within, and also that I like. I didn't actually like horror movies until I was in college. I didn't think much of them until until then. So when I fell in love with horror movies, I also started making movies on video. So it was kind of a new thing for me, but um, my influences as a kid growing up were the obvious ones, Spielberg and Lucas and uh, and then Tim Burton came along on the scene and James Cameron movies were pretty awesome to me. Uh, I got, I fell in love with Peter Weir that did witness at Poet Society, Fearless and Mosquito Coast, Picnic at Hanging Rock. Um, and, um, but I, I don't know if I was imitating any of them. I'll mm-hmm. tell you the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is the, the original. I hate that I have to say that, but that's the one I'm chasing. That's the one that blew me away the most, the hardest, the one that I can watch and never get tired of. I love it more every time I see it. And uh, I don't know, there's something about that one, the rawness of it, that maybe I'm chasing to some extent with every effort. But uh, I don't I don't know. So, yeah, I saw you say in an interview, you said like, if anybody, maybe John Carpenter, um, like I've heard- Stylistically similar, yeah. Um, I do try to keep it kind of, classical style I, mm-hmm. i'm not always a fan of the style that's in your face a lot mm-hmm. the, i mean like uh sam raimi evil dead that's very hyper stylized and in your face yeah. but in a great way in a wonderful mm-hmm. way um i'm more like john carpenter i think or Wes craven i think because they didn't really draw attention to their style all that much right they just tried to tell good stories as well as they could and those are one of those styles i'm sorry i was just saying like those are one of those styles like if you try to mimic it would basically be really obvious that you're trying to be like that director as well especially uh, sam yeah i do see an influence of toby hooper though a little bit with the um with found especially just because of a lot of the close-ups and like sort of experimental, um, not experimental, but I guess just like, uh, 
you do kind of b-roll shots i would say a lot of a lot of like the b-roll shots of like the setting and stuff reminded mm-hmm. me a lot of uh texas chainsaw massacre and other toby hooper movies hmm. i, I haven't thought about that <laughs> but when you're saying it i'm thinking about it and i'm like yeah that is it's very hard to come outside of your own experience making a, a movie mm-hmm. and think about it that way. Um, but yeah, I, I totally see that now. I totally see that. But I would say um, plot wise, look wise, and just everything you put into the movie and combine into the cooking pot makes your movie mm-hmm. so original that I don't feel like they can even really be traced back that closely to anything. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't mind if I was compared to Toby Hooper, though. Yeah. That's, that's well, I feel like. I feel like your movies come almost in in segments and there's like these things called like the holy moment in cinema. And I feel like you kind of have that almost within every 20 minutes. Like there's always some holy moment that kind of keeps you trapped, especially in found. Um, And it's almost like you, they're almost like little shorts added in that like really impact you to keep you moving throughout the whole thing. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I was going to ask about your visual style, kind of like what, what do you do with your camera lenses, your lighting and stuff to kind of make it look a lot different than other films in the underground um, to give it that Toby Hooper style that we've been talking about? Well, on found, we only had one lens, the one that came with the camera and it was a zoom lens. Um, I can't remember exactly how wide and close it got, but basically we had to just use that zoom lens and so whenever we adjusted the lens we also had to adjust the lighting so if we were zoomed in a lot we had to get a whole lot of uh, light and when we zoomed out we had to use less light so that was a challenge and a learning experience for me and the directors of photography Leah and Damien and um, I did that I used that same camera and just that one single lens again on the bad man and on Headless, we also shot that way. But on Harvest Lake and Plank Face and Space Babes from Outer Space, um, we used the uh, Black Magic Pocket Cinema camera that was uh, Brian Williams' camera. And that has a much more powerful ability to penetrate the darkness and show you detail in the dark. So you didn't have to use lighting as much with those on those movies with that camera to actually get exposure, you could use it a little bit more creatively. And that also allowed us to have depth of focus when we, depth of field when we wanted it and shallow depth of field when we Mm. wanted it. So we, I think those are the prettier movies for sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, we were able to get some really pretty moments in Mm. Headless, but through and through, I think Harvest Lake, Plank Face and the one shot with the pocket cinema camera um, are really really pretty yeah i like and that shot even it's also I, worth noting we have multiple mm. lenses for the pocket cinema camera oh, okay and they were really good lenses brian really did his due diligence to get uh, a bunch of really nice prime lenses and those are always going to be better quality than zoom lenses there was a couple questions i had about found that i didn't list but i, I was curious about the dilation um did you purposely dilate the actor's eyes because it seems like you they're just especially dilated in certain scenes no. I was curious if you dilated I think about that. No, it's in, during certain intensities, it's the older brother. Um, oh, weird. His eyes are like majorly dilated in the shots. And I was curious if you did that on purpose because it seems no. really excessive. Maybe it um, was dark in the scenes. 
Maybe because there was like different style. We actually were talking about that because I, I was wondering if maybe it was because there's more light on one side than the other, and it, it was just the eyes were basically. But yeah, if you look at the shot, like his eyes are majorly dilated in the comparison. Or maybe it's something going on biologically with the actor. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I just was curious. I know people do that. You know, I know people can do that though. Like, there's different ways of dilating to add intensity. He was in that headspace, you know. Like, yeah, <laughs> maybe his eyes was. Yeah, he wasn't he like some, method, but he he would really try and work himself up. He had some great uh-huh. facial expressions for sure, uh-huh. especially like throughout the movie. Just a great character, um, evil character, but great character. Anguished. So, was it hard working with child actors and found at all? Fuck yes. Yeah, that, that, I heard yes. that's one of the biggest challenges. It it was found. It was all about getting the kids' performance. I made a decision early, early on that that's where I had to put most of my focus. And the main criticisms of Found, well, there's two main criticisms, the sound quality and uh, the acting of the adult supporting cast. And uh, I put myself uh, to blame for the any acting problems because the, I would love to have worked with the adult cast a little more, but as long as it was good enough, as, uh, I would have to let it go because I had to make sure that Gavin's performance as Marty worked really well. Because if you didn't like Marty, you wouldn't like the movie. So I did sort of suffer. And um, if I had much more time to make the movie, then I could have worked with those uh, the rest of the supporting cast and helped them kind of tune their performances into the right, to right into the right zone. But yeah, Gavin required a lot. Of, it doesn't mean Gavin was a bad actor. He'd never acted before and he had really, really good raw talent. But you had to work with him and kind of be in the right mood with him. You had to be his friend. The rest of the crew really helped to, you had everyone around had to be friends with him or else he'd feel like he was on the sh- on, the, on the spot. He'd be self-conscious. And, and sometimes he'd give the best take on take one and sometimes he'd give it on take 20. Yeah. I mean, there were a lot of takes sometimes. And then there were times when you just knew this is as good as it's going to get. And you only had to do it one, two or three times. So it, it was weird. It was rough. And, and the supporting cast also really helped him too. He would react off them um, in a good way. He has really good raw talent. If he pursues acting, he's got the, the talent to work with for sure. What were like the child acting laws that you had to, cause there were more than one just child and there were, you know, a couple more. Yeah. A couple. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know yeah. what laws are. Like, Indiana is not, especially, especially, uh, I don't know, uh, litigious or legal about movie making. There's no tax incentives here. So no one really comes to Indiana to make movies. Um, it's a huge deal when they do, but yeah, I don't know. We just try to avoid the game warden when we're shooting in the woods mm. and, uh, and the parents are there. So as long as the parents are, oh, happy, yeah. that's kind of what I wanted to know is like, cool. as long as the parents are there, it's like all, all as well. For the yeah. Most part, yeah. When, when shooting with kids and the worst of it was on headless with the little boy playing skull boy, you just have to keep. I mean, you can shoot a movie out of order. So a lot of times the the kid may not even know the context. Mm-hmm. 
for the scene or just what he's saying, what he's, what he's doing. So he just, but Gavin was very precocious. He knew what was going on in the movie all the time. I think he was 12 when we started shooting, but he had the knowledge and the maturity about the subject matter of like a 16, 17 year old, I would say at least. He taught us things on behind the scenes that we didn't even know in terms of sexual terms and lingo. It's like, wow. So he was not a pristine little angel boy uh, shooting this movie. He was kind of a, already a, he was a teenager in a 12 year old's body at least. Oh yeah. Yeah. I remember yeah. that age. It's like, that's when you start get going down that naughty path, reading Mad Magazine and playing Counter Strike and shit. So, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely so young. <laughs> I was that kid. So, <laughs> and with the internet now, you you can learn a lot more quicker. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. Yeah, a couple of websites and you're an educated kid. <laughs> um, the library with a friend and actually looking in books at some of that stuff, but. Mm-hmm. Now they just get on the web for. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. So, do you recommend uh, filmmakers taking, uh, like, going to school for um, like film, or do you recommend them kind of doing whatever? Because uh, I feel like with indie, you can kind of just uh, even start your own production, do your own thing, and don't need to necessarily do any schooling. I'm sure there's. I, I can't say definitively because I didn't go to film school at Indiana University where I went. I took some film courses but they were more about film history or film theory there Mm -hmm. wasn't a lot of production hands-on experience and what little there was wasn't up to date really um i'm sure there's a value in going to film school um but when you don't have access to it or you can't afford it it's not the end of the world because a whole bunch of people perhaps even more than not have um made a, a little bit of a name for themselves or had some success in mm-hmm. the industry without having to go to film school because there are tons of books there are audio commentary tracks mm-hmm. that all together kind of teach you a lot and nothing beats hands-on experience and the the technology is so affordable and accessible now that if you really want to make a movie there's no reason not mm-hmm. to so if you make one by the time you're done with it you will have learned probably a a film school's worth of mm-hmm. knowledge yeah, it may not be a very mistakes. good movie, but <laughs> you will have learned a lot. Yeah, because right. if you make a bad one, you're going to watch it, and it's going to be punishing for all the parts that you messed up having to watch that, and that'll yep. make you not have to do it again. <laughs> so, I've done that. It's, yeah. Just what, take notes. <laughs> that's when you decide how much effort you're going to spend in promoting it. Yeah. Because if you can't stand watching it and editing, chances are no one else is going to be able to stand it either. Uh, is there any any of your films that just got left on the cutting room floor because you you were just like this is not going well well i'm i'm a little bit lucky because i made a lot of movies before found but they were all on vhs tape or mini dv and the quality no matter how good they were no one was ever going to take them seriously because the, the the image quality and sound quality just wasn't there with that analog technology it wasn't until uh uh canon i think put out the first uh dslr camera and uh i remember hearing about it the first time from my friend aaron marshall that you can use a still camera to take video that is superior to any other video out there and i just i couldn't believe it i thought he was talking shit 
and and he was right it was that's found looked so much better than anything we could have ever shot on dv or or vhs for christ's sake i mean i'm kind of i'm a little bit proud of a couple of those projects that i did on mini dv cassette but i never felt like oh my god this is so good i need to do something with this they got better as they went though and so i'm kind of glad that the technology kind of changed at the same time that I, I found found no pun intended mm. and wanted to do the best I could to make that one. The first one that I actually pushed. Yeah. Cause that came out like right as, I mean, right as digital DSLR consumer cameras were starting to get into the hands of a lot of filmmakers before mm-hmm. you were seeing some movies still shot on film or VHS in the earlier two thousands. Yeah. Of. So, yeah. Yeah. That's kind of uh, what that, put found it was about the exact time. Put found a lot above a lot of the other stuff in the underground because it was being shot on those mini DV cameras or on the VHS. So I think that's one reason why it was really. I mean, the packaging helped too. Like that packaging just looks really professional and clean. Um, well, so. that's the that's the national actual uh, distrib- uh, distributor picked it up and put out that that version behind you. Yeah. Um, but we did the best we could with our own copies as well. And around that same time that we did found, I remember there were so many filmmakers renting red cameras and making movies on red, but red requires so much knowledge about how to use that camera and make this, make the image look good. And they weren't so good at like the movies. I was on a film festival committee for several years and all the movies that came in with red looked like shit. Yeah. I mean, I know what Red's capable of, but they didn't know how to use it. So I always um, tell, well, when people ask, I tell people it doesn't matter what camera you use. Today, you could use a phone. Mm-hmm. Dustin Wade Mills just uses his phone to make movies now. And it looks, they, phones look really damn good now. So yeah. you don't need to trick out a big giant camera and take pictures of yourself. Yeah, I'm always like it's it's like guys with big cars, it's guys with big camera rigs, they're compensating for something. Yeah, I, I taught my son how to use a DSLR, but like I'm like this phone is just better though, like because we, we may we have our own little YouTube channel and like I'm like we just got to do it on the phone. I know the camera looks cooler, but this phone is like 4K. That's 1080p from 2012. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, and now they're starting to make phones where you can actually buy little lenses that attach. You yeah, lenses for your freaking yeah. phone. I actually have one somewhere in this drawer. That's it's awesome. Crazy. It's like a fisheye. Yeah, lens. you have to hold it up because I don't have the attachment, but it's cool. Yeah, once I start doing tilts, I'm like, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's uh movies like Tangerine, which I haven't seen, but that was filmed completely. I haven't either, but I've heard so much about it. It's shot on a phone. Um, but back to your uh, old shorts, real quick. Have any of them been released on DVDs as extras or anything like that? Yeah, um, House of Hope is probably the the only one that that anyone who likes my stuff that's been put out would like because it was a horror movie. Um, it's a bonus feature on the limited edition of the Batman. Mm-hmm. I think. Do you have that, Christian? Uh, I don't think I do. I have the one that Tetro came out with, and then I have. Um, I did. You have the. Is that the one that's on the Scott Shimmer website? I don't think House of Hope's on there. Okay. No, I, I put it out at one point. They've never been. They've never been a huge like advertising point. 
mm-hmm. because people have expectations and it's mini DV. It's not going to look mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I saw him on your YouTube channel and I watched a little bit. I like the discussion and the narrative. Um, a lot of the characters, I think you did a really good job with the character development. Um, um, but yeah, there's definitely a different style for sure. Um, between like what you have, they're, they're not as hurt, like horror driven for sure. On House of Hope? Well, maybe on House of Hope, it was the, a couple of the other earlier ones. So you had, cause you had like the first 10 minutes of one of them. Okay. Um, and then cause you yeah, didn't show the whole thing. on there. I think Boy in the Making mm-hmm. is out there. That's kind of very after school special. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you learn, you learn as you go. But yeah, that, that was my school was just hands-on experience. And I think it took me one, two, three, four, f- six. I made six substantive movies mm. before found. Uh, so yeah, I only just like saw like three of them. So yeah. Did you ever intern for anybody uh, starting up? Nope. Never worked nope. on a set or anything? No, I worked in the mail room at Paramount for a couple of months. So I moved out to LA in 2002, right after I shot House of Hope. And the mail room was horrible. I quit that job and then worked at a video store in Sherman Oaks and um, just wrote. I wrote a couple of screenplays that I never finished, but sometimes I look at and wonder if I could, I should finish them. Um, but no, I never interned for any movie business before I have friends that are show that have been showrunners on different TV shows. Um, Brian's working on a TV show right now. And I had a friend that went to USC and um, worked for Jersey films when it was uh, up and running. And I have a, a couple of other friends that are writers and set builders, and they've told me lots and lots of stories. And all of the stories that I learned told me that about 50% of what is accomplished in Hollywood is, well, 100% of it is kind of luck. And 50% of the time it goes the way it should. And 50% of the time it goes the way it shouldn't. It's just crazy. And hearing their firsthand experiences about the bullshit that goes on and how long you have to struggle to make people understand you and just to get a green light to like be allowed to do something kind of pissed me off because my dream was always to go to Hollywood and make movies in Hollywood but around 2002 2004 when I was out there I decided I don't want to play this game that is bullshit I don't want to spend a decade trying to get one thing made you only Mm -hmm. live a handful of decades Mm -hmm. for Christ's sake so I've since then especially I've always been like just do it yourself field of dreams if you build it they will come. So I've been able to make six, I don't know how many movies I've made, but it's a handful. And it's really not in that many years. It's been 10 years since found. And I have at least six movies, I think, that I've done in that time. If I'd waited for permission to make them, God knows if I would have ever made one or two of them. Yeah. yeah. So, Might have just been found. Yeah. I've, I always wanted the universe to meet me halfway. I do the best I could on my own. Here's what I've got. Somebody hopefully notice and give me a job. Hasn't really happened. And I'm, I'm okay with that. So as long as I can do what I want to do and have complete control, and it, it's enough. That's good. Yeah. I agree. I think it's a way happier way to live. I mean, I wouldn't want to be wrapped up in that Hollywood system either. 
it's a whole different thing. Mm-hmm. I've got some friends that are doing it and doing it really well. And I think they're happy doing it, that, doing, doing, doing whatever people want them to do. And you can make a ton of money doing it too, but uh, you can't really tell personal stories and what you want to do. But then who can even Steven Spielberg can't just do whatever the hell he wants. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I'm ever offered to something, I'll probably take it because I am, I know there's a whore inside me willing to, to, I have a dollar, I have an amount that I'll do it for. So I'm not saying I wouldn't ever do it. I don't think any of your fans would blame you either. I think everyone would love to see you do something at a Hollywood level, just if you got the chance to, just to see what uh, what, what could happen. I was going to make a movie uh, with, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know. I'll get in trouble for saying it, but there's an actor and he also produces with his wife. And I, at, at a certain time, I was like, I need to take the next job that comes my way. I need to stop saying no to people mm-hmm. because I've been saying no. And I was like, am I like losing up the chance to make money here? So when I got an offer from uh, them to make this movie, I said yes. And I didn't even know the title and what it was about. And then I found out it was called Elevator. <laughs> and Elevator did not line up with what I was really wanting my career trajectory to do, but I said yes. And so I wrote the best script I could based on that title and it all fell apart. Fortunately, um, or unfortunately, if I would have gotten paid, it's unfortunately, but right, right. I don't know. Was it a Japanese remake? Cause I know there's a Japanese movie called elevator, but no, <laughs> no, That's gonna, no, I was going to be an, uh, anthology movie. Oh. And I think they actually shot part of it, but then it never got finished. Mm-hmm. that happens a ton too like i was supposed to direct a movie last year and it was like well will it come together it didn't come together um it's still not coming together um yeah you, i hate that too i'm very loath. i love just writing the movie knowing i'm going to direct it i'm going to produce it i have not written very many scripts that didn't get shot and so whenever somebody says, do this, it'll be an opportunity. It'll happen. I'm like, nope. If I'm in charge and I know what's going to happen, I will write that script and I will do it. But if it's entirely up to someone else to get the mm-hmm. financing and everything, then I, it's probably not going to happen. Then it's like a waste of time. It's yeah. a waste of time and investment of energy. Mm-hmm. So money up front or no. So are there any of your shorts that you wanted to flesh out into full feature? No, not really. A headless was a short part of found and, we decided to flush that out. That's the only, and in a way, Harvest Lake was sort of a fleshed out version of Deep Dwellers, but in a really weird, windy way. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, no, I don't think so. So Don't you take short answers? Because then you have to think of another question right away. Oh, no, we, we have a list. We're good. Did you want to direct, <laughs> did you want to direct Headless? There was a teeny part of me that wanted to, but... It, it was again that found was this first movie and I was so overly concerned probably with what would my next movie be. And I was afraid that if I directed headless two things, one, was I really the right person knowing the kinds of movies that I like and appreciate? And two, how would that further root me into that kind of movie alone? Like if I directed headless, would people stand harvest Lake or plank face or whatever, doesn't matter I, I thought too much about it but the other reason i didn't want to direct headless was because i was friends with arthur Culifer, 
and he is much more a fan of exploitation horror movies and, and movies like Headless. So it just made a lot of sense for him to do it and bring, and he brought a very unique color and flavor to that that I couldn't have because I just don't have that sensibility. And that actually afforded me to have one of the best experiences making a movie because if you're directing the movie, you're probably not having fun making the movie. Mm. But if someone else is directing it and you're just kind of overseeing it, making sure people get fed, you can actually have some fun and you can look at it more objectively. And Headless is one of the movies I can probably watch the most as mm. a result. So uh, where was there basically like a, a thought to make Headless already as a full feature or were you just going to keep it as a short originally? We never thought seriously about making it because we it was a throwaway. Headless, even within Found, was just it's just a killer. It's such a generic killer with a skull mask. It's so like everyone can come up with that. It's not unique or original. Um, so we never, it was just a throwaway in Found, and we never thought of making it into a feature. But people mm -hmm. asked at film festivals would you do that? And everyone responded to that sequence so much, we discovered there is an audience for that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And we're very grateful for that audience. Because oh, yeah, that's... Headless has mostly been well received. So yeah, I, I'm, I'd almost say that it might be more popular in some um, like groups, you know, like yeah. at least when it comes to like the gore side, like people that yeah, are like huge fans in the gore. Fans. Yeah, like extreme fans, like they absolutely adore Headless. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I like, don't love, love found like, but you know, I don't think that many people like both. They're they're really? so different mm. that I don't think most people would like both. But that's I mean, cool. I love both. I, I mean, love I love both. I do too, but I think we're in the minority. I don't yeah. know. I, I get what you mean, though. Um, I actually didn't read the found book, but my wife did, and she loved it. She's but she said it wasn't as good as the movie. So, oh dear. Uh, but uh, uh, was Headless in the book? Yeah, uh, I think he only killed black women in the book, and we were casting it so hard that I didn't want to limit the the color of the skin of the actors that we had access to, and to an extent, I didn't think it was necessary to to do that either. But I do remember in the book, they were all only black women. And that kind of hits home the fact that the older brother of Marty also is killing black people, too. Um, but I think everything else about Headless is pretty accurate. Has a machete, wears a skull mask, and kills people. Cuts their heads off and has sex with the heads. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, like, uh, was that... Um... Uh, what was that movie that you got me into? That French um, documentary, Ian. That one, that, oh, like uh, uh, making off. Yeah, it kind of like parts of that kind of reminded me of it because I basically like his his thing is like fucking the head after or, or having sex with a, a body part after he's murdered it, and it's like. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's also that other one, header, which was mm -hmm. I don't know if anyone's heard of that one, but that's got some skull fucking, but it's completely different than headless. Yeah, I hear that we're somewhat original and that it's an esophageal fuck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Most people would just put it in the mouth, but the mouth mm -hmm. has teeth in it. So it seems to me like it would be better to put it in the, you know, the open wound, the neck. It's like a reversal deep-throating. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> are, are any of your other films based on a novel? Uh, one of the scripts I wrote felt that fell apart. The whole project fell apart. Was based on a novel, um, but that's those are the only ones. Hmm. Are there any other novels you'd want to make into a feature? Uh, I always said Dune, but now they're doing it. Um, and uh, I'd like to go. I have you know I haven't actually read Cabal, but I love Nightbreed so much that. I think it deserves a, a good remake. Yeah, that'd be cool. I could see that. In trusting hands, like you. <laughs> see, the right director of photography and the right resources, anything is possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so did Elvira, um, Elvira's Horror Hunt nomination, did, she, did that go for any other films, or did you just get nominated for Found? Did it go for, like, they're... they're because you got, sure. you got the Elvira's, uh, the Hunt Review. Or... Yeah, we won that. There yeah. were other nominees. Okay. I was curious if you had any of your other movies, like, um, got nominated for that. Like, no, uh... we only did that one year. I don't oh, think okay. that it was successful enough for them to want to do it again. Or maybe That's what I was more curious, if, like, if she just stopped doing it. And, like, yeah. that was just kind of a thing that just kind of faded away. It was a one-time thing, and we entered it right at the tail end of when they were accepting submissions, and it was an expensive submission, I remember. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I don't know about this, but yeah, that was that was a the timing was right kind of a deal. Did you keep in contact at all? A little bit. She did a little bit because after that festival she got invited to a festival that I was invited to. And she asked me what the experience was like. And she also checked in once or twice to see if we got in distribution yet, just because she was interested. And she tried, I think, to get us distribution through one of the companies that distributed Mistress of the Dark for her. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just a couple of times, not like all pow, pow, chummy, chummy, but mm-hmm. any additional times are welcome from elvira she's, oh yeah she's a legend yeah genuinely one of the sweetest people just genuinely took yeah. us it was her birthday at the end of the uh, uh comic-con type expo that she and stanley put on as part of that festival and it was on her birthday she took all of us to dinner and paid <laughs> oh wow i thought that was sweet mm-hmm. harvest light leaves a lot to the imagination um what was your take on the film because it's it's one of those films that i'm still trying to wrap my head around and I wanted to see if you can kind of what's your take I was always okay with it being open to interpretation but I just sort of saw it as there was a primordial ooze that lived at the bottom of the lake and everything came from it at some point Hmm. Um, but it was horny (laughs) and it, it, it just wanted to have sex with everyone and everything so when mm-hmm. all those people entered the lake and started having sex with it, they became one with it and just disappeared off the face of the earth into the mm-hmm. It claimed them back. Mm-hmm. I wanted to call the movie Disappearance at Harvest Lake, which mm-hmm. would have been a throwback to Picnic at Hanging Rock for some somehow, I thought. And um, Brian really didn't like that title. And I kind of came to agree with him. Um, we, we actually talked about changing the title back to Disappearance at Harvest Lake when we put out the Blu-ray this past year, but we didn't. 
least as an AKA kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it was horny slime at the bottom of the lake. Mm-hmm. It was a trippy that, movie, for sure. Uh, it's a weird little movie, but we loved it. It was an it was a total throwaway. Brian and I didn't. We just Brian and I worked together on uh, Headless, just a little bit because he had a little part in that, uh, along with his wife Ellie. And then we sh- we worked on the the clown movie, uh, Wasco, the Legend of Wasco. I produced it with uh, Leah and he was our director of photography on that one. So we got to work a lot on that one. And Brian and I really hit it off. Like we're such different people, but we both, I think we both have the same work ethic. The movie comes first above all else. And it's very hard to find someone that you can argue with and not take it personal, not be offended. But like he and I would vet every decision. And if I had an idea, then he would shoot at it to try and put holes in it and vice versa. And we just worked really well together. So we wanted to make a movie together, no matter what it was. We threw Harvest Lake together in a week as a script and then just shot it on a lark, not really thinking much of it, but we really liked kind of how it ended up. And and I understand that it's not everybody's bag, but it's got its followers and it's actually our, I think I can say that it's our biggest moneymaker on all of our streaming platforms over the last year or two at this point. More people watch Harvest Lake than Plank Face, The Bad Man. Headless isn't available very many places, so I don't mm-hmm. want to compare it to Headless. But I had to, I had to like rent that off a weird website, and I, I forgot was it, it wasn't the Unearthed website. It was another website that was streaming it. It was Headless? official. Yeah, it's on Shutter. Oh, no, mm-hmm. was it? I can't remember. It wasn't, it wasn't Shutter. It was like I had to plug my Found laptop into my TV. Oh, Tubi was something. Might have been Tubi. No, I don't know why people. I mean, I know why. I probably know why people can't stream headless just anywhere. But I am a little bit surprised that more people don't come to us and ask to put headless out. I think um, Shutter would streaming be because I think it would be a hot, a, a hit. I think it but, would fit right in with Shutter. I think maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, sometimes I forget how uh, desensitized I am. And then if I were to watch Headless with somebody that's not desensitized, it would make me realize maybe what audience can't handle certain things. So. Yeah. Yeah. Headless will definitely test that. Um, one thing I saw last year was the Wrong Turn remake. I was wondering if you got a chance to see that and if you think that they might have stolen anything from Blank Face. No, I've only seen the original Wrong Turn. I liked it, but I haven't watched any of the sequels or remake. Yeah, um, well, the remake, it's more like a cult, but instead of a family, but it's very similar with, you know, just kind of feral mountain people. Who knows? Maybe they did. I don't know. All right. right. There's only like six stories under the sun, so I always try to remind myself of that, like, we're as likely to rip someone else off as they are uh, to rip us off. But of course there are always the times when they're too similar. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, I haven't, I haven't experienced that firsthand. Myself. No one's cloned your movies yet. I don't think so. Yeah. You think there's a reason for that? 
probably don't want to. <laughs> too dangerous. Dangerous <laughs> territory. Not worth cloning. So, not, not too worried about it. You have to be mm-hmm. successful to want to be cloned, and there just aren't enough people that know about what I'm doing. Wait till they see Space Babes, though, because we need a whole... That's like... a Brian movie. I was, <laughs> I was taking a Brian from Pangea. <laughs> yeah, I Speaking felt of Brian like Pangea, but... Uh, you kind of did him rotten, I feel, in Plank Face. <laughs> kind of like how he was like murdered, like cut off his balls, made him eat it, like burned him alive. <laughs> Do you feel you kind of like take it easy on him during the Bad Men just because you were so ruthless on him in Plank Face? No, we just wanted to work with him. Uh, after, I think we had not, I didn't know Brian, but then I went to Cinema Wasteland for the first time. And that's a, expo in ohio near cleveland i think i've been two or three times now but that first time i went to their screening room and i think they had fang boner playing Mm -hmm. and i responded to brian i can't say that i loved the movie but i loved brian in the movie i thought he was a great actor from fang boner i could tell he was a great actor and, and other people i think are crazy they think i'm crazy but he was funny and he had good comic timing and i contend mm-hmm. that anyone who can do good comedy can do good everything no so comedy's hard the next chance we had to cast brian for anything was in plank face and he was at the top of my uh consciousness and i think uh brian williams who was uh, who i was making movies with and plank face was one of them also knew him so we both felt very comfortable offering him that part because it was a small part and he didn't fuck it up and he was great to work with that's very important to me is that uh you have to be talented to actually do the job but then you have to not be an asshole for me to want to hang out with you at all and he he met both of those uh criteria so we brought him back for space babes we had no qualms casting him in fact I, uh, you'd have to ask Brian Williams for sure, but I think he wrote Space Babes with Brian in mind. I could be wrong, but I think it's entirely possible. And he was great in Space Babes, and we loved hanging out with him that whole time. So Brian's one of those people I would always go back to, just like Ellie or Jason Crow or Kevin Roach. Just there, There's a handful of people I've worked with more than once that are just sort of in the stable that hopefully I can call upon yeah anytime i can see his face in a movie i love it so yeah yeah like the whole thing where you basically telling him you know just don't suck it's like his big (laughs) like motivational speech like just don't suck (laughs) i get so much shit for that um ellie ellie church and brian too they want to be directed they want to be directed they want the director to tell them things and the very first time I directed anything, it was on VHS tape in early 90s, 94, I think. And I told the actors everything. We did take after take and I talked to them and they got confused. I would tell them to do something, they did it. And if I didn't like it after that, then what was I supposed to tell them? Like. I told them they did it. They absolutely would do what I told them. Turns out what I was telling them was wrong. So I, after that first movie, I really became reluctant to tell actors a whole lot. They, they would have, and now, nowadays, if you tell them anything at all, you're already kind of cutting down the gamut of possibilities that they could present for you. 
So it's really a good idea to just let them read the book, let them read the script. If you know them at all, you, you'll know if they're a good actor or not. Mm -hmm. Their instincts are almost always going to be right. See what they do first. It's probably going to be perfect. And then maybe you know, coach it from there. It yeah, yeah. You just, then you just fine tune it if necessary. And we don't have time to talk to actors every day. These movies are shot in seven to 10. If you're lucky, 14 days is the most you're going to have. I think we shot headless in 14 days. Hmm. So you can't just keep going. You've got if it's good enough, you have to go. There are a lot of times I would like to have kept going and, and had a better performance. And Ellie in particular, I feel bad because she really wants director feedback. And I understand that on the last day of the bad man, we only had to do the interview stuff where she's on a black background talking to the interviewer, looking into the camera first person. And we had all day to do it. And at the end of that day, I, I directed the shit out of her. And she was so happy. Just that was the best day she'd ever had with me. And I swear to God, almost every, if not every single take was the first take she did before I did any directing. Hmm. So cast the movie well, and then, you know, work with actors. I've read books on how to tell, how to direct actors. And uh, I took a class with Scott Ziegler, who was a mammoth disciple. And I learned a lot in that class. And I've learned that based on how actors uh, work, you have to have, approach them with different techniques to get them comfortable. You have to try different little games and things. And there's definitely a lot of techniques and things that you can learn to work with actors, but you save so much time, especially on a low budget movie with a really, really tight schedule. Just cast the absolute best people you can and let them do their job. Yeah, I think your movies have shown that too. Just So Ellie... Leave me alone. <laughs> She's great too. She's but, great. Her instincts are wonderful. She was hilarious in Space Babes and she was tragic in Batman and it just shows her range. Yeah. The plank face at the end when she's dying. I'm pretty sure that was one take. I mean, it couldn't have been more than two. Three would have been just a, wow. I don't think we could have done that. She doesn't need directed dying and screaming that's just she knows how to do that i knew she knew how to do that you hire her to do that mm -hmm. so i wish ellie just had you know she would trust us when we say girl you're good enough i mean if we have to direct you we'll direct you but your instincts are really goddamn good mm -hmm. so how did your movies go over with the general public when they played at film festivals has the general public ever seen one <laughs> i, I mean fest uh festival goers i would say um They've almost always been genre festivals, so we haven't had to worry about that. The one notable exception is the Phoenix Film Festival, which is done in tandem with the Horror Sci-Fi Film Festival. Technically found was a nominee at the, the Horror, I think it's called the International Horror Sci-Fi Film Festival. Mm -hmm. But the Phoenix Festival and that one are so interconnected. They're at the same theater at the same time on the same screens. It's very strange. You like merge it in a funny way. So a lot of the audience for normal dramas, comedies, they would also have the have access to see found. And I remember going to the concession stand and waiting to get a Starbucks drink. I was so excited because this, this theater had Starbucks and I'm a Starbucks fiend. And there was like three or four people in front of me and they didn't know who I was. So one guy's like, what did you think of that movie found? Oh my God, wasn't that disgusting? It's like, yeah, I don't know about that movie. 
And then they like paused. And then one, then the one that started the conversation turned to the other and said, but you know, what? it's the only one we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> that's worth something, right? It's true. Right. It's true. Definitely. So, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you can't just spring found on anyone, but I think, I don't know. It's fun to try and make horror movies for people that don't think they like horror movies. Yeah. So yeah. Cause some people were saying found's on a horror movie. I just saw this. It's not a horror movie. I'm like, it is a horror movie. <laughs> Accept it. You liked a horror movie. Yeah. I yeah. I mean, I like how you don't use a lot of gore until kind of the end, but it's, I think really effective. Um, and in that, you know, approach of, it. I mean, there's definitely gore throughout, but there's like the biggest, you know, and you know, it's just the whole climax of the end. You're just yeah. like, wow yeah and also you don't show certain things you just use sound and reactions and that was a genius way to do it i think i really struggled with with that because i really wanted to show uh ethan going down the hall uh and leaving like a trail of blood with his fingers on the wall and there were times i was tempted to want to show outside the room but uh, it worked better it made it put put you in that situation it put you there put you there with him yeah it kept you completely in marty's point of view exactly mm-hmm. so what is important to that movie what if i put it out on dvd because i'm about to because it's out of print right now mm-hmm. and it was the director's cut but it was shorter because hmm. i want to take stuff out like what if it was 10 minutes shorter what do you what do you want to take out? I like the option, but I don't think I would like it as a permanent option. I want to take out a bunch of the. I want to take out the preachers sit down with Marty. Hmm. Oh, that. I kind of want to speed up that part of the of the movie. Hmm. It, I, I I like I liked it. I've never had a pacing issue with that movie. Yeah, actually, I have to say, like, it's like my. There's always there's something to grip you at all times. So See, that's the weird thing, because I hate George Lucas fucking with Star Wars like everyone does. But I would love to go and cut that and, and have that version. But I know the world is like me. Once you put it out and I've seen it already, you can't fuck with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I've tried and I've tackled. I don't know. I've really thought about it. And I, I'm not going to. How long is that? So I still haven't got the disc ready. How long is the scene? Because think about it. You'd only be saving people about that much time of their life each time they watch that movie. And really, is it is it worth taking that small amount? Uh, I feel if it, you know, somehow changes the meaning or doesn't add to the story. And I don't know. There's there's some yeah. reasons to take it out. But... Or, yeah, you could always put that as a, as a deleted scene. Then people can have it. <laughs> In that case. I won't do it. I won't do it. <laughs> I know I started sweating a little bit, but (laughs) so I do want to ask, are there any themes that repeat throughout your films or any deeper meanings? That's something that you're trying to drive home in each one of your movies. I did another podcast with some, someone a year ago ish could have been three years ago. It's all blur. And I think we came to the conclusion that, My movies are about facing your inner demon. Yeah, I think that's what we decided. But they had to like drag it out of me. I wasn't aware of it. 
going in. I knew I was interested in sex and sexuality mm -hmm. and not being afraid of those things and how if you are afraid of those things, it's really going to has this great potential to warp you and damage you and turn you into a monster. Um, Steve obviously and found has some issues that he's fetishized violence. He can only get off when he's killing people, which I think is probably the case for a lot of murderers, rapists. And, and then in Harvest Lake, the fear is giving in, letting go sexually to the, the monster in the lake. And I mean, headless even is, is exploitative and silly as headless is. I mean, the guy is having sex with the heads and then crying about it later. It's, it's a There's fetish. psychosexual issues. Yeah. You can't control <laughs> and it. Blink face, I think, has sexual issues too. Mm -hmm. So, and the bad man, gosh, yeah, they're being broken sexually so they can be sold as mm -hmm. sex toys. Mm -hmm. So clearly I have issues. <laughs> But, um, but, but I was very interested in sex and gender growing up. And in college, I took a lot of sex and gender classes and TA'd for one of the professors and, and advanced human sexuality courses. And mm -hmm. um, he was like, really, you want to be a filmmaker? I could write you a letter right now and help you go to grad school for human sexuality and sociology. And I'm like, that stuff eats my brain up, though. Like, you can get so wrapped up in sex and gender that you're just mad all the time. Mm -hmm. so it's better i thought to use it as content for movies and to try and have a, mm -hmm. a happier life for the most part um but yeah i knew that was in there i was doing all of that intentional but but this podcast and oh my god I, I i'm just terrible with names and remembering things um they extrapolated from me that it was also about facing your inner demons and mm -hmm. because i was a gay kid growing up and i came out at some point, and that was not easy. Um, but um, that, I think, kind of haunts all of my movies, confronting the part of yourself that you're supposed to hate uh, is something that the characters in my movies do. So write what you know, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm the kind of person that thinks sex in movies usually is kind of like, affects the pacing it's just not something i care for in movies when i see it in your movies though it's shot a certain way i mean it, usually it's in a negative context yeah. there's not a lot of happy sex scenes in your movies <laughs> um and but you I, are correct but yeah so maybe that does add to the entertainment value if you want to call it entertainment because it's kind of wrong but you know what i mean well if the movies are about sex it's yeah. okay to show the sex but if the sex mm -hmm. is just you know oh and here's some sex on the side like a Simpson and Bruckheimer 80s movie, mm -hmm. which, you know, even there's a place for that stuff. I kind of miss random sex scenes in movies, to be honest, but I miss they the did spirit the of where there were too many mm -hmm. of them. I miss the spirit of it, but like then you think of like even Michael Bay movies in the 90s, you just had these soft core scenes thrown in and like with the dramatic music, and it was just, just tanked the movie for me. But yeah, it's just something to laugh at, honestly, at this point. It's become like yeah. a punchline for like 80s and 90s. Seven, any any gener generation of film. Well, there are reasons that they've disappeared. Yep, but, and it's... but I do I do believe that you can make a movie about anything that you want. There isn't. I, I have quoted several times the Clive Barker, and I can't. I'll I can shittily paraphrase it, but he said, "There's nothing so taboo or scary or awful or forbidden that it shouldn't warrant discussion 
or mm-hmm. or to be the topic of a story. There, I mean, no matter how awful something is, it's still something we should talk about, make a movie about. So I I completely agree with that. And when it comes to movies, just make sure that that is in fact what you're telling a story about. So you can do that. You can have nasty Holocaust scenes in a movie that are utterly disturbing if you're making a movie about the Holocaust. And uh, you can have a, make a movie about terrible, nasty sex that just degrades and turns people into animals you know, in the worst way possible, because that is, of course, a fetish for some people. Um, but it, it can be a bad thing if you're telling a story about the ways that sex changes and can damage you. Mm-hmm. So sex is a scary thing, and horror has always um, relied on sex as one of its cornerstones content-wise, because sex, the fact that we have men and women and things in between, um, but men and women have to deal with each other, and there's like an allure that heterosexual men and women have for each other, and there's also a fear. I love the fact that Labyrinth with Jennifer Connelly and David Bowie she is he's the bad guy but she's infatuated with him at the same time and i think that in horror there's that play of the sex as something oh i want that what is that it's so mysterious i must mm-hmm. figure it out and oh my god what is that it hurts mm-hmm. so sex is scary and I, I think it's it's in the right genre when it's used in horror mm-hmm. more than for romance yeah is there a deeper meaning with the use of uh, shirtless men in a mask because I feel like that's kind of like a thing you commonly use. I'm just trying to compensate for all the women that have been shirtless and running around screaming. I'm just doing my part. No, I mean, that was great. <laughs> Good answer. No, I, mean, I remember being on the set of the Wasco movie and I, cause I was a producer and the directors, Leah and Shane did not want Dan Nye to take his shirt off in the climax of the movie. And I was there saying, Dan is here. He has the chest. He is willing to take his shirt off. And you are saying no. As I think if you're pretty and and you're the least bit an exhibitionist, by all means, entertain us. (laughs) And in a movie like that, it it would not have been inappropriate because at that point you were kind of clinging to whatever might keep people interested in watching mm-hmm. but yeah i figure why not why the hell not and plus whenever you cover the face and represent a typical male physique you're also just saying this is stereotypical of men this is mm. man this is he is a tool mm. he is a scary intimidating tool i don't you're saying things like that when you disguise the face or take away their name or something uh, mm-hmm. or like a monster take away their identity. or something yeah like dehumanizing them yeah for sure yeah. Um, do you express any of your personal fears, like clowns or bondage? Just like, does any of that go into your psyche as like a fear or phobia? Dramatic pause. <laughs> I was, I thought I froze for a second. I, I my personal fears are religion. I don't think my personal fears are actually anything I put in movies that I've made it's kind of an interesting question I I hate spiders I hate heights hmm. but organized religions and cult like followings whether it's political or religious kind of terrify me the the power of feeble minds that only want to follow and not think from themselves but I haven't made a movie 
that heavy. I was going to say, have you ever been interested in doing a cult movie? Sure. I mean, yeah, it, it crosses my mind, but cult implies lots of extras and that requires budget. <laughs> also, cult movies kind of blew up the last decade. I think we could use a little bit did. of a break, but yeah, they kind of did. Yeah. But that wouldn't stop me. Um, yeah, the right script came along. Cool. Yeah, Red State. I liked Red State quite a bit. I thought that was. Oh yeah, probably. Was, I, did you movie. see that, Christian? No, actually, that was the one I didn't see. I, I saw a couple of the uh, Kevin Smiths like horror, but I didn't get around to that one. That one wasn't comedy. That was like a yeah, and it was more of one of his horrors. Yeah. Some people would say torture porn or something because it's huh. it's essentially just a cult. Yeah, because Tusk people. is like a comedy. I'm sorry. No, yeah. <laughs> Tusk no. was weird. I liked it. It was weird. Was it I liked weird? it, but I I would I wouldn't even I almost don't consider it horror. Because, like, <laughs> almost. It's, yeah, it's, taters. it's B-horror. It's trash horror. Yeah. 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 That's um, what so, for. Right. Yeah. So, um, why do you think people have a harder time watching male rape in films? Well, men are still the audience, primarily, for... I don't know if movies overall, but at one point it seemed like they uh, they were the target audience for the marketing departments anyway. Um, and I think they're still probably the target, the main audience for horror movies in general. And they don't want to see themselves as the victims in the movie because if they're caught relating with that, then who knows, they could be perceived as gay or female or something. I think it's one of the reasons Friday or a Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two didn't do quite as well is because they tried to have a scream king instead of a scream queen. And mm. The world wouldn't have it. Although that movie did have other issues, and I love that movie. So me too. Be that as it may, male rape is still hard for people to take because men are supposed to be this strong, sturdy oak, and it's just more taboo, more horrifying when the tables are turned and a man is treated. Uh, like the, the way we treat women. Yeah, for sure. It was Especially weird too art. because like in, mo- in movies, I don't see it as much anymore, but it was like a punchline, like prison rape was like almost like a joke. It was always like the cellmate putting his hand on the person's shoulder and shit. It's like, yeah, yeah. It still is. I mean, it's yeah. Like, it's kind of crazy. Like, I don't know. I have mixed feelings about that. I feel like <laughs> it's, yeah. weird. it's weird when you see that kind of humor in mainstream You're like films cockney and sandwich people are laughing jokes, at it yeah. for the wrong reasons, personally. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. Yeah. There's a lot of double standards still as the human race finds its way to uh, total equality. Do you feel like, you're, like your films empower the gay community at all? I don't think about it. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they empower anyone. I feel. I think they might. I think they might just feel confused after they see them. To me, it's it's a survival experience. Most of them, uh, especially movies like Plank Face or Batman, you're you're some. I mean, those movies make you realize whatever you're going through in your personal life that's painful. It can get a whole lot worse, and it does because that's shit that happens in real life. There are there's a such thing as human sex toys Uh, that's Mm -hmm. a real thing on the market um people being abducted in the woods and never being seen again happens every single day uh these are things that people need to know and be like hey what you're going through right now could be a lot worse oh yeah man (laughs) being happy is really just a a state of constantly reminding yourself how much worse it could be 
so grateful that it's not. Yes. So I don't know. I didn't know my movies were public service announcements. So that's <laughs> nice. I think it's a it's a good good spot of comparison for people to look at when they're feeling like their life is going th- through a lot of pain and torment. Yeah. Or even in found the people that have like family issues, you know, dealing with that and seeing the extremity of like, well, at least my family's not like, you know, that bad or just kind of like comparison stuff is always nice, especially because that movie, like everything could happen. I wish like, that movie there's, was there's nothing in that movie school. that's like paranormal or, you know, anything. It's all very realistic. So that can hit people in a certain way. I wish I had the movie found when I was in high school because I was a lot like Marty in high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think a lot of us, a lot of people that listen to QVC were a lot like Marty or maybe a mm-hmm. little bit more like his brother. Yeah, um, I had movies like Igby Goes Down as like a coming of age movie, you know, that kind of thing. But, um, but yeah. Todd Rigney wrote Found and he really made a character that a whole lot of people can relate to. Like, mm-hmm. we're, bullying in school separates all children into their own little islands every bullied person is an island and and all of the bullied people don't know that they're all experiencing the same kind of pain it's weird but uh, through the through a character like marty we all kind of recognize ourselves. and i know i certainly did that's why i wanted to make that movie so thank god i got todd's blessing Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just reminded yeah. me like of my fascination with aliens and Nine Inch Nails and stuff, and just like going to like the record store and like writing stuff down, and like I was just like him. So, yeah, yeah I think there's something to relate to. I think a lot of people, maybe some horny people, could watch Space Babes or Harvest Lake and <laughs> find some something to relate to. But yeah, I think you really get deep down and in, like into person people's personalities and stuff. So it's important. Mm-hmm. Have you had any pushback from the LGBT community? I mean, I don't think so. I'm trying to think of... Uh... No, I think it's mostly just been supportive. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harvest Lake's been the one that's the most been involved because it does have a gay character and there's a whole lot of sexual fluidity on the parts of every character, including mm-hmm. the vegetables and the monster in the lake. Um but it's all been positive i haven't heard anything negative what is maybe i should have i don't know (laughs) no i think no i think it's good i i I mean i don't i can't speak um for that community but i I can see it as being empowering that's why we asked the question before so yeah i mean i i found marty to be empowering for me i just think other people could find other characters yeah marty might be gay we we really don't know yeah i think i asked that i actually wasn't implying he was but now that i think about it he could be i mean there's there's really no i remember asking tom maybe part of the struggle and Uh he didn't know yeah part of why growing up was so confusing and why he felt so distant from everybody possibly could make sense yeah what are some future projects you're working on we're all excited to know i'm not working on any <laughs> i after Batman finished up in 18 i just threw myself back into a regular day job that i'm still doing and um i am loving not making movies it's so much better than making movies hmm. making movies is just pain and anxiety and i love when they're shot though i love editing and putting them together 
their aspect. I love shooting with certain cast and crew, seeing them and seeing their accomplishments come to fruition. And I, I think I'd like to make another movie, but the fact is I don't have a script. Mm. I, I do not have a story to tell at the moment. Someone contacted me today. This doesn't happen all the time, but once or twice a year, someone will contact me and dangle a carrot, you know, like <laughs> I have money. Uh, would you like to make a movie or I have a script? Will you read it? And I'm always like, who are you? Can I trust you? What kind of scary person could you be? Can I depend on you since I don't know you from Adam? Because my experience is that I can't trust anyone I don't already know. Mm-hmm. So I'm very, very cautious about who I partner with, whether as just a financier, or producer, or creative collaborator. Um, on Plank Face, before we cast Nathan Barrett in the lead, we like we were like the FBI trying to figure out who the hell is this guy, what are his beliefs. Is we were trying to find someone who knew him, mm-hmm. and uh, especially Brian, we never met him in person, and we were both just terrified of casting someone in the lead of our movie that we'd never met, and it ended up working out. So I'm that way with everyone now. And so, and when I, and when you read someone's script, there's these legal entanglements, like what if there's an idea in their screenplay that you end up making a movie about later on. So I'm, I'm in this, I want to read other people's screenplays, but I don't know how to go about doing it. Um, and most people's stories are just not stories I want to tell. So I, I just don't know how to, to do it. I feel like I've told the same story over and over again in different uh, costumes. I feel like found Harvest Lake, Plank Face, and Bad Manor, all so thematically similar, at least. I do not yeah. feel that way at all. I feel like that's such a diverse collection well, of films. Directors do that. Like Ari Aster, Hereditary, and... Um, Midsummer. Midsummer feel like the same movie to me. True. And... Not so much with uh, Eggers, is that his name, that's, do- that's doing The Northman right now? Yeah, he does The Witch. The... Love his stuff. Yeah, he's good. What was the the Lighthouse, right? The Witch and The Lighthouse. Yeah, Lighthouse not is feel the same. I'd rather be like him. I, those two, The Lighthouse and The Witch didn't feel like different. I feel like I'm telling the same stories. Like we were talking about, so what are my stories about? What am I trying to communicate with all of them? And, and we know that now. So if I make another movie, I'm too aware of all of that at this point. At some would, point, it becomes masturbatory or something. I would say you're a lot similar to an Eggers than you would be to a, um, uh, what did we say before? Let's <laughs> not even let's not even make those comparisons. What I'm saying is, so, I, I want to make something different. Yeah, I, I just want to make something completely different at this point. I don't want to make a, a sad, dramatic horror movie that's slow but disturbing. Mm-hmm. I've done it to the best that I can. Mm-hmm. And I just want to do something different now, maybe funny or comedy mm-hmm. uh, or just shocking or I love Sasquatch. There's a ton of Bigfoot movies out there, though, but I would still love to make my own Sasquatch movie at some point. That'd be great. Um, and I'd also like to team up with Marcus Koch and just make the most splattery, wettest movie ever made. Oh, so yeah. I just want to do something different. and But I don't know what that is. And I don't know what it's going to take for me mm-hmm. to fall in love with a a script enough to want to go through it all again trying i'm open i'm dating i'm open to dating you're swiping 
Swiping. Yeah, swiping. I've been swiping for two years now, and I'm like not stopping. Yeah. So if, if budget wasn't if budget wasn't an issue, do you have some like big movie that you would make that you have in mind? If budget wasn't an issue, I do. There's one, possibly two, but but one for sure that I would like to do, and it might be better as a mini series, like a ten part, ten hour mini series. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the ones I started writing out in out in LA that I still think about and I still like, and I think it's really strong. I don't know, plotting wise, it just it just it's tight. Mm-hmm. What's the gist? Or... Nope, <laughs> not getting nope. the gist. Okay, okay so once you start talking about it, it starts to. Fall. I get you. I get oh. you. That's fair. All right. Well, that concludes most of our questions. Um, is there any places people can find you, uh, support you any, anywhere online or anything like that? You can always find me on Facebook. Um, I'm there. I, I friend everyone. Um, I, I do get political. So if you're not, if you don't agree with my politics, you might not want to, to friend me. But you can also check out movies just by the, the movies that are available at scottshermer.com. Found and Headless are both out of print right now, but they're both coming to DVD uh, this year. So you can keep your eyes peeled for those. But The Badman is still available. Harvest Lake's on Blu-ray. The Badman's on Blu-ray. And Plain Faces on DVD. And we saw Space Babes on Blu-ray. And um, I think those are the only two places you can find me. Facebook and scottsherman.com right now. If you're so cute. I just got to say to everybody, I think Batman, the Batman is a very slept on movie, especially for people that are in the underground scene. So please make sure you go buy a copy of it or like just support him and find a way to watch that movie. It's very good and keeps you on edge pretty much for two hours. So Mm -hmm. if you like a good home invasion clown movie, it's definitely there. It's way more than that. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's way more than that. But yeah, it's good. Yeah. Well, thank right, you well, thank so you. much. It really well, means a lot. Thanks for having me. You're a hero. It's always good to get out and talk to someone, even if you don't get out. I'm just still here, but still good to talk to people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, thank you for taking the time. You're, you're definitely a hero to the underground, for sure. We, we love indie film horror film I'm whatever not worthy. <laughs> I'm not worthy. That's, that's how i felt all day today i was like well, so scott Shermer tonight wow so yeah thank you. yeah no thank you very much <laughs> have a good one you too bye